Welcome to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast, which shares the stories, insights and people involved in the Scottish red meat sector. In this series, we will speak to farmers, vets, advisors, processors, researchers, hauliers, marts, butchers and retailers, as well as to the fabulous team at Quality Meat Scotland. I'm your host, Jane Craigie, and I'm looking forward to telling the stories that matter about the iconic quality livestock of Scotland and the people that produce, process and retail Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork. Given the month-long celebration of Porktober during the month of October in Scotland, it seems fitting in this episode to delve into the pig sector, to talk about the business of pig farming, health and welfare, and to explore how pork was promoted over the first proper month of autumn. October marketing has been designed to reach different age and consumer groups, to send a strong message about the value of buying specially selected pork on every level. It's fully traceable with exceptionally high health and welfare standards and vitally offering consumers a healthy, affordable, high protein product. Later in this podcast, I speak to Aberdeenshire butcher Gary Rayburn from Huntley and to Jordan McCochan, Scotch Butcher Club ambassador, about sourcing and selling specially selected pork direct to the Scottish public. So with pork centre stage, first off, I caught up with Bruce McConaughey. Head of Industry Development at QMS. We spoke about the impact of market volatility on pig farmers, disease and health surveillance, and a fascinating project that Bruce is leading to monitor the control of Scotland's wild pig population as part of the biosecurity measures to keep African swine fever out of Scotland. So Bruce, we're talking pork and pigs today. I suppose a good place to start is What's going on in the sector currently? What are the highlights? What are the areas of concern? And really what's taking up your focus with regards to the pork sector? So I suppose um, as far as a sector-wide view goes, pig prices are relatively stable at the moment. They're relatively good at the moment. The big impact in the pig sector has been felt in input costs. The rise in utility prices and feed prices and everything else has eaten away any potential margin. So while the price is higher than it's been in a long time, the margins are smaller than they've been in an awful long time. So pig producers are under an awful lot of pressure. So we do what we can to support that, but it's market volatility that's responsible for this. And there's not much we have control over. So what we can do is offer support through our usual industry development work. And a big part of that is about productivity benchmarking about working with pig producers for a bit of horizon scanning. And of course, the big piece of work that we do in industry development is about disease surveillance and health and welfare monitoring in the pig side. So that uses a lot of our time and a lot of our resource, but it's it's an incredibly valuable piece of work. And how are producers responding to that input price volatility? Are you picking up any examples of what people are doing, buying forward on feed or any other activities, securing, you know, end price contracts what are farmers doing to try and manage that volatility within their businesses just try to maintain some business stability i think people are looking at where they can capitalize on what margins are available whether it's through increasing or decreasing numbers appropriately up in biosecurity to minimize risk is a big thing as well so people are really sort of in the last little while have been battening down the hatches to a degree to try and maintain their own business stability and, and again that's where that health monitoring piece comes in it's so important because that helps producers to minimize risk and if we can support that by by doing the sort of overarching health monitoring piece alongside the productivity benchmarking that's probably the best way to to maintain that business stability and give producers the information and the peace of mind that they need 
And Bruce, health and disease surveillance is a key part of what you do to support the pork sector. Just give me an update on what's going on as far as that area of management is concerned. So I suppose it's it's business as usual very much for us. We are responsible for comprehensive in-abattoir and on-farm disease surveillance program. We work with SRUC, Wholesome Pigs and other organisations that are key in that sector, including pig vets as well. We have good relationships with all the major pig vets in, in Scotland. And what we do is we do investigations in abattoir. We take samples in abattoir for, for things like salmonella. Uh, we follow up with investigations on farm and some face-to-face support through Alan Ward on the farm side of things so that if there is a disease outbreak or a disease incursion, which will happen to the, in the best of pig units, we can get there and help to find out the root cause of that so that it doesn't happen again. So it's about risk mitigation. I suppose the big thing on the horizon for us, uh, and it's been sort of slowly marching across Europe, is African swine fever. Um, and that's the next big thing on the horizon. So what we've tried to do is, is get ahead of that and show a little bit of industry leadership on the African swine fever piece. So that's the next obstacle on the horizon, potentially. I understand that one of the projects that you're looking at and working on is to do with a wild pig population in Scotland. Just tell me a little bit about that. I, I had no idea we had a wild pig problem, but I'm assuming you're going to tell me different. I wouldn't call it a problem just yet at the moment. There, It's a problem in very concentrated areas. So we know that there are significant wild pig and boar populations and have been for a number of years now over on the west coast around Beanbridge, Fort William and up in the northwest highlands. We know there are boar populations around the Monalia Mountains and we know there are boar populations and wild pig populations down in uh, Dumfries and Galloway as well. And obviously pigs have, you know, historic place in the natural environment. They are positive contributors for biodiversity, but they're also an incredible disease risk for commercial pig producers. So that's something that we're sort of very conscious of. African swine fever is sort of spreading across Europe now. And, and, you know, we've just had conversations with pig producers in Sweden who have had a recent outbreak and how they controlled it. So what we want to do is basically, in the first instance, establish where these populations are we want to monitor these populations as best we can and we can only do that with the collaboration of the wider land management sector so what we've done is we've pulled together a meeting in a few weeks time to bring those stakeholders those land management agencies you know the the gamekeepers association deer management groups forestry national parks together to talk to us and to talk to nature scott about where these populations are where there are potential risk areas and how we might monitor and appropriately control those populations if need be. So obviously with African swine fever, it, it, it's an incredibly devastating disease. Over the last four or five years in China, it killed 220 million pigs. It's incredibly transmissible. And the main way that will enter our country, because the pig producers we work with in Scotland have such tight biosecurity, the most likely way it will come in is through the feral pig population. And the feral pig population can contract African swine fever by eating infectious meat or meat products. So a ham sandwich, a pork pie, anything that has a pork product in it, they can potentially pick that up and eat that. And obviously, when we're talking about where the populations are, down to Friesen Galloway, over on the West Coast, national parks, these are areas where there are a lot of tourists, there's a lot of camping, there's a potential risk issue there. So what we're trying to do is map these populations, find out where they are, and then look at how we can appropriately monitor them to minimise that risk. And Bruce, do you already know how those populations behave and how that threat might impact the biosecurity of production units, whether they're indoor or outdoor? So, I mean, it goes, it goes without saying that the, the outdoor 
pig producers are more at risk because there's there's a likelihood of transmissibility or, or contact with wild pigs or feral pigs there. What we don't know is how these populations behave, but there are stakeholders and, and partners in the land management sector that, that do know how they behave. You know, the Forestry Commission have done a tremendous amount of work on mapping these populations and monitoring them. SNH or now Nature Scott have done a huge amount of work on plotting and mapping these historic populations. So what we want to do is use their knowledge, use their experience in the sector to establish how these populations behave, where they are and where the risk areas are. And, and do you know where these populations originated from? So historically, they're populations of feral pigs that have you know developed from different breeds of domesticated pigs. So any pig farmer, especially outdoor pig farmers, will tell you that there needs to be a lot of thought and consideration into fencing because pigs tend to be able to lift fences very easily. And the problem is when there is you know over five thousand years of having pigs in this country, there have been escapees. There is a very small wild boar population in Scotland and what we get there is crossbreeding between escaped or sometimes even released domestic pigs of various breeds breeding with the indigenous boar population. So what we end up with is what we call feral pigs. So feral pigs are the biggest problem for us. And you know, they're not small, they're not delicate creatures, some of them. I remember uh, reading reports of one that was shot in Spean Bridge that was 28 stone, which is heavier even than me. Wow. That is some weight. Yeah, they're big animals, so they do take a, a lot of thought into how we monitor and control them. But yeah, what we're trying to do is basically establish where these populations are through getting our partners in the land management sector to basically report sightings, report populations. And Bruce, is there any control currently being undertaken, you know, from a sporting perspective or from a, you know, a land management perspective? Yeah, there absolutely is. The Forestry Commission or Forest and Land Scotland do a good job of mapping populations and also controlling populations. Obviously, boar and feral pigs don't eat trees, so it's not their priority at the moment, but they have a huge knowledge of the populations and how they move and how they behave. So we're hoping to rely on some of that knowledge. There are obviously difficulties with ground nesting birds and rare species that um, feral pigs tend to predate a little bit or trample. So there is a bit of work being done in national parks to make sure that they understand where the populations are going. Like I said, we're hoping to rely on that knowledge of other partners because wildlife management isn't really our area of expertise. But I know that there are control methods in place. There's sort of corral methods. And yeah, you're right. Some uh, private estates have diversified into feral pig shooting, which is, you know, to complement deer stalking. So there is a, a potential revenue stream there. I mean, it's a great concern, but it's also an area of you know real interest because I, I don't know how many people were like me and weren't that aware of, of the feral pig populations within Scotland. Yeah, and I suppose um, it's a sort of marriage of two worlds. I've previously worked in conservation, so I was aware of feral pig populations and I was aware that they were fairly widespread. But until I had um, begun working at Quality Meat Scotland and working closer with the pig sector, I didn't realise there was a potential risk to the degree that there is. So I think it's important that we get ahead of this as much as we can to avoid situations like the ones that have happened in, you know, Eastern Europe, Germany, Greece and Sweden. It's just so forward thinking of you. And I really love that collaboration with those who understand those animals in, in their natural environment. You know, that makes absolutely sense. So good on you for picking this up and taking it forward. And I suppose on that point of African swine fever, you know, looking ahead, Bruce, what other things might we need to do to, well, A, detect it if by any chance it did come into Scotland, but then also about controlling it. And let's hope to goodness that that doesn't happen. But, you know, what measures are there in place within Scotland to protect us? 
Yeah, so I mean, the main thing for us is is a monitoring operation and using the knowledge of other people in the sector and, you know, how these populations have evolved over time, understanding that a bit more. There are contingency plans in place. We work quite closely. Alan Ward works quite closely with Scottish government on contingency plans. There are, of course, outbreak plans as well. We don't ever want to have to use them, but it's a comfort knowing that these procedures are there, that the Scottish government veterinary team and independent vets are very aware of this and involved in the, the ongoing planning. So we, we stay sharp as far as that goes. But for us, the main thing is about monitoring these populations and just keeping check of them because... As I say, they serve a useful ecological purpose. You know, they're part of the natural wildlife tapestry that we have in Scotland. We just want to keep them where they're of benefit to wildlife and not of risk to commercial pigs. And Bruce, just looking more widely at the pig sector, you know, I know you're very interested in what's happening from a production and from a genetics point of view. What are the things that are interesting you? What, what sort of progress is the pig sector making? What changes has it made over the last five years? And do you anticipate over the coming five years and where the pig industry is going? Yeah, I suppose looking at the wider pig sector and some of the stuff that we are sort of excited about coming down the track is that sort of productivity piece. And I think Scottish pig producers have worked for a number of decades now to improve productivity levels and profitability levels as well. What we want to do is make sure that we can put things in place that support that. So we do we do support that through benchmarking software so they can understand how they compare and contrast with other parts of the UK. And, you know, these are pig producers that are very, very commercially focused and very focused on peak performance. And what we found is that they're performing on a par with their European counterparts in, you know, Denmark, Germany, Holland. And, and that, to me, is something that we, we can't let slip. So we want to do everything we can to help those guys be among the best pig producers in Europe. And that's that's something that we find very exciting. The other thing that we find quite exciting and, and we've been doing over the past 18 months, I suppose, is helping pig producers maintain the skill sets of their staff and of themselves. So we, we run a relatively comprehensive training program where we rotate different training courses each year. And we've had really good uptake on that. I mean, this year we've had a, a movement handling training so these guys can keep their skills sharp. These are fantastic stock people. So allowing them the chance to refresh those skills every year, I think is vital. And that's something that we're, it's not the sexiest project in the world, but it's quite exciting for us. And we're very proud of it. So we've had 260, I think, pig producers and pig stock people through our movement handling training this year. That just goes to show how committed the industry are to maintaining positive animal welfare, positive performance, and ensure that productivity level stays high. You know, that's just fantastic. And and those are just so important, aren't they? Those sort of soft skills, they're relatively soft skills, but absolutely vital, particularly with new people coming into the sector, you know, which is something we're encouraging. And pig farms have been a bit of a success story in some counties where they have managed to recruit. And those people that are new to the sector really need that skills because they're very different to handle than sheep or cattle, aren't they? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it does take real skill to handle pigs in a way that's safe for the person handling them, but also, you know, supportive and high welfare for the pigs themselves. And, you know, these guys want to do the best job they can for the animals. They want to look after the animals so that they are productive and happy and healthy. And you're right, there's a bit of a labor issue a lot of times. And this is reflective of all of agriculture, whether it's cereal production, fruit production, or livestock production. Labor is difficult to get and to keep. So what we hope to do is provide an opportunity for new staff to be trained and upskilled to the level of staff that have been there for 20, 30, 40 years. But, you know, these are some of the best stock people you'll find. And and if we can help support them, keeping their skills fresh, then we're more than happy to do it. Brilliant, Bruce. Well, thank you very much. The next two interviews are with butchers, Gary Rayburn 
and Jordan McCochan. They talk so passionately about Scotch products, selling to consumers, and what keeps people coming back to Scotland's butchers rather than buying their meat from the supermarkets. Pork's quite popular with us. We sell a lot of pork sausages, pork burgers, and we also do our own home-cured, dry-cured bacon, so we find it it's really popular as well. So that would probably be our three main things that we do burgers sausages and the bacon well parktober we put on a special pork pack we six different cuts for 30 pounds we burgers with sausages with pork chops with bacon that we make ourselves we just felt it was a variety pack it could give people who maybe didn't really use pork could it was all simple stuff but all stuff that people can use so we we noticed a lot of people quite a lot of younger people as well coming in for the park so it worked well and we did a few different kind of we make fancier kind of products so we did a few different uh, products with them and kind of focused on product of the weekend and that so just just showing people there's more to park then you can do different things with it like so i asked gary how popular pork is in the shop and also how porktober helped promote pork during the month of october it was on kind of national promotion, so a lot of folk can. If, if we hadn't had that, they maybe wouldn't have bought so much pork. So it just kind of focused on the pork. So it did, I think it did help. QMS were good in putting out a, a few recipes, and we find they always work. If people pick up the leaf, we have the leaflets and the booklets in the shop, and if people pick up it, you often find that they come back and they buy the ingredients from us. All our pork, we get our pork from we get from Millers of Speyside or Monroe's of Dingwall, and they work with local farmers through the Scottish pig producers, and it's all local or just a few miles away, so it's either from Inch or just out the road in the And it's all local pork, so at least we know exactly where the porks came from. For Gary, the story of the meat's provenance is really important to him and to his customers. As I said, pork, beef and lamb, uh, to get people coming into our butcher shop, we have to tell, rather than going up to one of the two supermarkets that's just up the road, to get people, they want a story and they want to know where the meats come from. And I feel us as a small independent butcher shop, that's where we can hold our own against the supermarkets because we can tell them exactly where the meats came from. We can give them the whole story from hoof to hoop, field to fork. And we we can give assurance to the customer, and because they can come in or speak to us, I feel that's how we survive over the supermarkets because we we can give them that assurance. Can we want to see them coming back? So we put in an effort to give them that story. Gary went on to talk about the importance of being part of a club. Yeah, well, it's it's a membership for like independent butchers for ourselves, and they are really good as well. They're probably. A lot of the people in England, Wales, are envious because uh, we've got such a good uh, club and uh, they support independent butchers like ourselves really well. They organise meetings. We had one last week and every every butcher goes and you go, uh, even just being there speaking to butchers and the butchers that's in, in the go now, we're not really competing against them. We're all trying to work together, so we share ideas. And it's a it's a good club, and they support us uh, well. They organise competitions as well, and it's good to be involved with them and see how your stuff. So no, I would say it's a good club to be involved with. Yeah, 
I asked him about the competitions, if he could tell me some more about why they help him in the shop. Like the D product of like last week, they did one for a like a steak pie competition. So the, you enter your steak pie and they get a panel independent judges and about and they, they award you like there's one diamond for a bowl of Scotland, there's a gold or silver. So if you win a prize, like we won a gold for a steak pie and you get your certificate and it gives you something to tell the customers with a gold medal steak pie and it does make a difference. So, but no, other little things just giving the customers a story can it say it keeps the thing going, I think. I caught up with Jordan McCochan, an apprentice butcher with Hugh Black and Sons, an independent butchery with a number of shops across central Scotland. Jordan is the Scotch Butchers Club ambassador. So Hugh Black and Sons were quite a unique setup, by an abattoir, our factories in Bathgate, and then we've got shops right across the central belt of Scotland. We've even got our own farm as well. Jordan went on to explain what their customers value about shopping in the Hugh Black's shops. Well, it's definitely something that our customers are big fans of. We've even got farm boards in our shops, and every week we all promote any beef and cattle that we have bought that week. We put up on our farm boards to let them know what farms we've been buying from, and we've just bought from a farm just two minutes down the road or across the road from their house. The reason they come to us is they're after quality, consistent products, like our customer service and advice and certain cuts. This is something supermarkets can't provide. Like, picking up off the shelf or coming in and speaking to me is a different experience. He went on to explain the value of Scotch beef, Scotch lamb and specially selected pork and being part of the Scotch Butchers Club. Scottish Butchers Club, I a great thing to be honest for all butcher shops across Scotland. It's very good value for money. What we pay to get into that scheme and what we get in return is amazing. There's great marketing. They throw loads of ideas like recipes at us and our customers and it's a really good brand that we can promote and they're behind us as well. We then went on to speak about pork and why promoting the meat is so important. I always feel pork's been lost a little bit. We sell a lot of links, it's probably the most popular link, but when it comes to your cuts of pork, they're almost non-existent compared to your beef and lamb and chicken. You don't know if it's people don't know how to cook it, or if they've had a previous bad experience, or people might not realise it's not as versatile as the beef and the lamb and the pork, uh, the chicken. Again, you go, you go to a restaurant and most of the time you'll never really see much pork in the menu. It's always your beef and your lamb again and chicken products, but yeah. Jordan then explained why the known provenance of their pork is so valued by their customers. So we like a good fat cover on our figs and we've been buying from the same farmer from the Scottish border since I can remember anyway. And he's always had a really good quality and he's been very consistent over the years. He's never, if we've ever got a problem, he's always spot on. Hugh Black will speak to him and make sure he gets what he needs. Jordan has had a lot of personal support to become a butcher. Here's what he had to say about his journey. Through the years, I was at the factory for maybe three years. And then I progressed and after COVID, I got into the abattoir a little, the boiling plant. 
And then the last maybe year, two years, I've been in the shops, sort of perfecting my trade, you like to say. So I've got my level two apprenticeship and my level three. And actually with my level three, I got nominated for Apprentice of the Year last year, which was really quite cool. So, And then leading on from that, I got the ambassador role through QMS with Gordon Owens. Finally, I asked Jordan to tell me if he'd recommend butchery to young people looking at their career options. Definitely. The more you progress in this trade, the better it gets. Like, it's a, it's a really good job to be in. Thank you for listening to the Quality Meat Scotland podcast. You'll find the latest industry news and links to listen back to previous episodes of the podcast on the QMS website. And for recipe inspirations, go to makeitscotch.com or follow QMS on social media. Thank you for listening.